You're listening to Neurodiversity at Work. Welcome to today's episode, sponsored and powered by Dynamis Group. Recently honoured to be part of 300 years of leadership and innovation. We at Dynamis believe that business is a catalyst for positive impact in the world. By building a bridge between the top leaders of today and the brightest leaders of tomorrow. We inspire them to do things they have never done before. Sam, welcome to the podcast. So pleased to have you on to join us today. Um, We've already been quietly collaborating on on, uh, some things that we can do together, which we'll share as uh, as we discuss through the podcast. But would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Let them know who you are, what you do, what you're about. Yes, thank you, Theo, for having me on this show. You know, I've been hardly actually believe that I'm on here because I've been listening to your podcast for so long and really love what you do and everything that you're about. So I'm Samantha Hugh. I'm the director of ADHD Girls, a company founded with a dual mission to empower girls and women with ADHD um, to thrive in society and to improve societal understanding of ADHD because really uh, without the understanding, there's only so far we can go. And um, I am a communications consultant, you know, as my background, and I have worked in 16 work sectors because that's the typical ADHD story. Brilliant. And so what, so when you talk about ADHD and, and getting into um, kind of working um, uh, in kind of a, the field of ADHD, how does that interconnect with neurodiversity? What are your thoughts around what neurodiversity is, why ADHD is important, why you focus on that particular area? Tell us some more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when I founded ADHD Girls, my hyper-focus was very deeply into the condition itself, um, which is how it manifested in women and why so many of us are diagnosed later in life. You know, and also I have children, um, a, a child who was diagnosed with ADHD who also is a girl, and she was navigating some real difficulties in school. So my focus was very much on the female angle, and myself, I think more and more now you know the reason I'm diagnosed late is because I entered perimenopause I think you know it's a very difficult term to come to terms with because you know you think you're young forever and then you hit to a point especially when you're a woman and you know the effects of hormones actually get the better of you and uh, you start to wonder why you you don't function as well as you could before you know and the coping strategies start to get difficult but more and more as I look into it and with my deep hyper focus, I um, I actually start to think that um, you know, like you know, and people like Amanda Kirby, you know, been talking about for a long time that we have one brain and the medical the medical labels that we get from having a set of symptoms, you know, is very siloed. But this one brain, 
you know, has so many different traits. And I found out that apart from being ADHD, I also am autistic and have some dyspraxic traits. And I grew up with DLD, which, you know, is crazy now to think that I'm on your podcast and I couldn't even string a word together, you know, when I was uh, seven. So this all sort of came together, you know, like in a apocalyptic yet revelational year. And now I see neurodiversity you know, as not just the genetics and the, the genetically inherited and the innate condition that we have, you know, and, you know, it also encompasses um, the difference in the way people think and process and learn, you know, and you could also acquire neurodiversity, right? And things like traumatic brain injury, and I've spoken to people who had, you know, head injuries and their lives are completely altered, you know, yet they don't find themselves being represented within the spectrum of neurodiversity that people talk about. And the use of psychedelic drugs apparently also alters your brain. You know, that, that's also very revelational. And uh, yeah, so I see neurodiversity as really the differences in the way our brain works. And I can see good, you know, and also the not so good side about it. So I think I bring a very bad balance for you. That's really fascinating because I think, you know, it's it's taboo subject anyway, talking around um, women and menopause and oh, it shouldn't be and it's now changing. Right. But then when you talk about then the impact uh, of being ADHD or autistic and then the environmental factors, right, that you may find lights quite bright or noises or you may have visual aura or all these other things that impact you. And then you go through complete transformational periods of your life that we don't talk about. And do you think that is why, when part of why we have many more women now at that stage in life who are, who are going down the journey for diagnosis or starting to explore, okay, what else is impacting me? Why may I be uh, feeling this way? Yeah, you know, absolutely. And with things like perimenopausal, that is the stage before menopause hits and apparently it can last up to 10 years. And it can happen, you know, quite radically, you know, maybe after childbirth and a lot of women are having children also later in life now, you know, in our 40s. And what we have known is that, you know, estrogen actually goes up during pregnancy and you have this sense of well-being. And straight after birth, that crashes right down. And along with the sleeplessness and, you know, extra childcare, we're juggling everything, you know, it can really cause a lot of issues in a woman's life. So um, I've spoken to men who said, oh, gosh, that explains my partner, you know, because a lot of the time we feel like we should be able to juggle. We should be able to do what other people do, what the society expects of us. And you have no insight of it until you're in it yourself. And it's really, really difficult. And, you know, I think that's the reason why so many women, you know, in all these panels I've, I've, I've gone on and they really respond to it. You know, we're like really making noise in the room because we say, yep, that's me. You know, that's, that's exactly what I feel. And it's a very emotional thing, you know, to actually be represented and feel validated. And that's actually, I think, is one of the main, you know, joy you know of having a community is people feel you know that there is a representation with how they feel amazing indeed so there's something you mentioned before as well around being the parents right so i think now you're right having children later in life and then therefore a lot of people in their 40s um or, or maybe later 
going through the journey of, of experiencing their children's diagnosis, like mine with my daughters, for example, and then thinking about, okay, this the journey that she's going on, I'm experiencing myself and that co-occurrence. So that, okay, it's ADHD, oh, and autism. Oh, actually, autism didn't even consider, but that's the diagnosis that's come first. And, oh, and dyslexia and dyscalculia and dyspraxia. And how many more can we add to the list? Oh, but the reality is it doesn't just stop there. So you go to the doctor and they go, like literally, I, I've had them say this to me. Are you depressed? You know, ultimately, do you wanna? Are you, do you wanna take your life? Then why are you even here? Like why? Why are we even talking about it? Because you're no longer a young person, therefore, it, it, like it's not a thing. Or do you want drugs? And I'm like, oh. So, but, but it's almost that still that idea from the medical model that um, you know if you weren't fixed via the drugs or the technology or whatever as a child, then it's too late. Even though actually some of the biggest impacting factors that you will face if you're a woman in this example is actually later on um, in your life. And that we've given, we've completely ignored that and not considered that as part of a human's journey. And then no wonder more people are standing up now to start to go, actually, I want to be accounted for. I want to be able to have this conversation. No, no, absolutely. You know what you said about going to the doctors and... Actually, you know, them asking you a set of questions and you normally get, you know, sent to a course about low mood and depression and anxiety and, and they are putting a band-aid on the wound but not actually looking deep in. And I think, was it Dr. Russell Barkley who said that if you examine everyone for ADHD, you're probably going to get, you know, something there, you know, rather than putting people on SSRIs and anti and, and anxiety medication. You know, and myself, I remember having seasonal affective disorder every winter and this was the only winter that passed you know that I didn't have it and I went to the doctor to ask you know what is uh, wrong with me I always feel so tired and I just feel so like low and they said oh you know we do a blood test and then they find I'm low in vitamin d and b12 and iron you know which incidentally are also low in people with ADHD and they didn't think to you know put two and two together and I, I, I take some extra iron tablets, you know, and I feel better for a little bit. <laughs> then it, it goes back. But yeah, I mean, we need to have more awareness, you know, in the healthcare profession. And I suppose not just for women, but men also, you know, we're taking, men are also taking more caring responsibilities these days, you know, as more and more women, you know, we live in feminist household where women are working more too, and men are also dealing with societal expectation of not, not, not knowing how to split the narrative, you know, when there's also expectations on you guys to bring in, you know, be the breadwinner and have a career. You know, it's, it's, it's so much, isn't it? At the end of the day, I think that's why we all go to the, of the doctor's office and try to figure <laughs> ourselves out, right? Yes. Yeah, and it's so there's a number of things. All, all this misdiagnosis I really worry about, and like you say, that the... The key elements are there that, you know, if they looked a bit deeper, but it never is. It's, you know, my daughter, for example, probably me when I was younger, you know, uh, strange eating habits. Well, you know, the obvious thing is a young girl with eating habits. Well, it's an eating disorder. No, it's my daughter doesn't like specific textures and smells and tastes and they're quite intense for her. And therefore, she's very particular about what she wants to eat. Now, if you didn't support that you would just see a child that didn't eat because she just wouldn't if you insisted. And then that's, that's like, 
that are so many decisions that are made for you by others that are wrong, right? That, that are, you, we, you take this drug because you're depressed. You take that because you've got an eating disorder. You're gonna, we're going to send you there. When actually all of this is around um, personal preferences and choice and interests. And if you can like feed that in the right way, you have a completely different outcome. Yeah, completely. And, and I think one of the things you said as well, you know, in, in one of your posts is that uh, how do I know how to support, you know, the neurodivergence in my workplace? And I suppose you just ask them, you know, and maybe do a review and see is this working? You know, because it's the same concept as actually telling a, a, a child, you know, do you like this food? You know, if you don't like it, what is wrong with it? Right. And if uh, we can check in with you, you know, afterwards and, and see if you like it again, you know, or not. And then we can change it, you know, and actually in terms of eating for um, autistic children and apparently a lot of the time when they don't like certain tastes or textures it's because they have mineral deficiencies you know and once you correct that underlying nutritional deficiency you know people can start to enjoy certain foods again and it can be really simple but it's really to get to the root of the issue well my daughter always she went through periods she doesn't eat eggs now but she went through periods i can't remember how old she was she was like three or four where she made decision just to eat eggs and literally we couldn't get her to eat anything else she would eat three eggs in a row. It's mean, I couldn't eat. I'm going to have three boiled eggs in a row. I'm, I'm, I'm. She's like three rocking in a chair in three eggs. It, it, sorry, is it just the white bit though? Or no, does she eat no, the whole I thing? Know, she, she used to eat a lot. Wow. Um, and, and, That's and, awesome. And like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not eat anything. And it was like, I can't remember if it felt like months. She just ate eggs. Um, but it's there's something, and she eats bananas for a period of time before bed. And then we found out from the uh, ADHD specialist that apparently potassium or something in bananas is really good for uh, night time. So she was doing this automatically. Sometimes you just had to guide her rather than make the decisions for her. Just accept, okay, eating three eggs might be seem a bit too much, but like she seems to know eating a banana before bed. Like, does she really have to eat a whole banana or two bananas before she goes? But, you know, there's something about the, the you know, you, you, and I think often that's the thing that we miss, right? Like human beings, there's some kind of innate quality that where they just, they sense if you allow somebody to connect with the world, the trees, the plants, the bees, right? Connect with them. Then they just know what they're supposed to do. There's something pulling you like a magnet. But we often try and disconnect the magnet, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, I hear you. It's, it's, it's difficult for children who are neurodivergent and maybe like us who didn't even know what is going on. And we just had to go with, get with the program or else, you know, it was kind of like a swim and, or sink mentality for me. And I think it's the same for a lot of neurodivergent children in school. You know, you either get in line or you fall behind, you know, and there's no exception really. So tell me a bit about the work you do now. Tell me a bit about, um, you know, um, uh, yeah, how you've turned, I guess, the, all this newfound knowledge and this passion into the work that you're now doing. Um, you know, we've got an event coming up, which we'll make sure we'll mention at the end, dates and what have you. But, but tell, get it, let our audience know a bit more about your day-to-day -day activities. Yeah, so Theo, like when I started this, I was offering um, kind of work, work, kind of career workshops for women with ADHD. And I came up from a place of really knowing how to pivot. You know, I've pivoted so many times and somehow they, 
it, it always works out really well. And even now, people think that I'm making a pivot, but it's actually, this is like the making of me. You know, after my diagnosis, I feel like, right, you know, I have everything I need now. You know, I'm going to get a support I need. I'm going to make a go at, you know, really putting everything that's great about me out there. And it's really work. And in terms of what I'm doing with the knowledge that I found is... I run the surveys to figure out what women want, what women with ADHD want, you know, with their career and their workplace and their inner psyche. And I developed those workshops, you know, to help them. The number one thing I think in terms of emergency level is what people need in the workplace, like how do they ask for support? You know, not, not even adjustments, just support, understanding. How do you communicate it? You know, and over time I realized that... Um, I actually know a thing or two about communication because I actually work in communications. I talk to people all the time and, you know, I, I somehow have the ability to make people listen to me and understand that what I do is important. And, and that has also helped in bringing people together, you know, for this conference that we're talking about, the ADHD Best Practice Conference, where we share um, the how to create conditions to help ADHD thrive at work. And... I also give a neurodiversity training now in the workplace where, you know, the people who sit in the webinar I give actually end up being really inspired. And recent feedback that I got was that um, they had a really lively discussion, you know, after the talk and they we want to do this more frequently and they want to create a, a network so that people can come together and and really share you know what challenges they're going through and what they can do to help you know because really um what will in and inevitably change you know things in a workplace is a good and inclusive culture you know and, and that you know more, more than anything because we can all work you know, on our own, we can talk quietly, you know, uh, in the pantry, but really nothing's going to change if there is no acceptance within the workplace that neurodiversity is normal, <laughs> you know, it's so normal that one in 20 of us have it. And that was even before the advent of the late diagnosis. So the statistic, you know, it's even more than that. And it should be considered as a social category, just like gender, you know, and um, ethnicity and sexual orientation, you know, and our life stages. You know, this is one of the factors that make us not the only thing, right? And so by doing this, I feel like it's getting out there, you know, the, there are companies out there who are really opening their eyes up now to what is important to do. Fantastic. And you're right. And the, you mentioned this earlier, and this is really important, that neurodiversity, you know, if we think around the concept broadly, it being everybody, right, that we're all neurologically diverse, but some of us have been marginalised or system impacted just because of the way our brain works, right? That's wrong. But it can also happen at any stage in our life. Therefore, you may have something that impacts you. You lose your sight, your hearing, you have brain damage. All of these things could fundamentally change the way your brain works, or you might take hallucinogenic drugs. <laughs> you might... <laughs> You might travel to the forest and take some mushrooms. I don't know, like, but, but our brains, but you're right, our brains can change and develop and be impacted. Or you might um, go through the menopause, therefore, um, that can further impact what didn't seem uh, a, a challenging. My point being there is that so many people within the workplace may yet have hit what I call the kryptonite that will disable them. So they may have thought they were coping, they may have thought they were okay, 
They may have a diagnosis, they may not. They may have had a recent brain injury that they didn't realise the uh, impacts of that injury. And then they hit kryptonite within the workplace. It's a new job, a new environment, a new challenge. It's a change, transformation of the organisation. You have a new manager, you have different expectations, different one-to-ones, micromanaging or not, or whatever. And all of a sudden, your world crashes. And that is how quick it can happen that you just, one minute you're coping and you have done all your life, the next minute you're not. And that's why I really value the work you do, especially in the context uh, of supporting girls and women, because I, I think about my child, I think about my daughter, and I think about the future, and that impacted me to do what I do. But I am not, uh, in many ways we are, we are very similar, but I will not have the same experiences as her throughout my life. I won't. Uh, and, and, and I'm not, because I'm a bit further ahead than she is. Um, but, but so uh, it's very important that she is represented uh, and therefore you're representing her by the work that you're doing. So thank you for that. Um, it is very important, incredible and much needed because it is a significant lack of support, um, as you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, post-diagnosis support is all I actually want to do going forward. And, and, and like you said, you know, it's, it's so important to have representation of, of someone like us. And, you know, I, I feel the pain of dads who are watching their girls, you know, grow up and feeling really helpless as to how to help them in, in some circumstances, especially as they're navigating school, you know, outside of their control and social relationships as well. You know, that is like every single transition is a thing, you know, to to, to, to look out for. And I'm already market, marking it down in my calendar for my now eight-year-old, like going to turn eight-year-old. <laughs> Yeah, well, except my daughter turns nine um, tomorrow, in fact. And so, therefore, there's all the things that will be impacting, um, you know, puberty. And you start to, you know, it, everything now seems to... And who only... I, I don't know. Like, my wife is is not a carbon copy of my daughter in the way that I am in terms of our neurological makeup. Yet, we are of a different sex. So, that, that then impact. I mean, it's mind-boggling, right? So, my wife won't be able to understand what she's going through because my wife didn't go through it in the same way even though there'd be some similarities the neurological difference is impactful uh, and i think that's really powerful for us to sit back and consider so not just not just a we impacted you and i our children are impacted but our partners are impacted who may not be um adhd autistic or a combination of and how how do they then go into the workforce i mean so what do, in terms of the work support work that you do um what do you think is the do you think there's a missing gap as well for those yeah. partners <laughs> of oh yeah 100 <laughs> percent. yeah 100 percent. um and actually incidentally i'm working on this right now with a team uh, uh who, who's creating uh, an app to support neurodiverse families on their journey. So this isn't just, you know, children or adults, you know, this it, it is the heart of the app, you know, the support lies within the family, 
you know, it starts with a child and how do their parents navigate, you know, their lives within home and work life, mental health, well-being support, you know, is a huge gap and it's not provided on the NHS unless you are in very severe circumstances and it is mostly, you know, open to private, like, so you need some resources, you know, and money to tap into those things. So in terms of what you said, you know, how are you going to navigate, say, you know, your workplace when your home life, you know, hasn't really been sorted? So, you know, as you know, going through the diagnosis process for your children is so lengthy. And then hope, you know, you hope that you'll get some support in school for them. But, you know, that is another ball game. So it is a substantial journey and I'm, I'm I'm creating a lot of content right now and the app is launching uh, next week and you know so yeah it's it's great it's it's really good and uh, maybe get you involved as well at some point you know? absolutely I mean three years um, journey to diagnosis um, and um, you're right the there is a gap in those three years where you just wait right so um, the, the uh, which is insane really like you go on a waiting list and we'll see you in three years like forget about all the challenges you face at home forget about all the mental health the well-being the trying to stay together as a family all the other stuff you just go deal with that for three years because that's not our problem and then when you do get diagnosis it's well really we can't do much to help you with this <laughs> you just you just we're just telling you you know and you go off and try and find charitable organizations who can help. i mean it is absolutely insane um, to be honest. So that sounds incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, what does your family do now for well-being support? You know, do you guys kind of have like music or outdoors kind of strategies that, that you, you put in place? Yeah, and that's a, a very good point. Um, are you blessed? Are you lucky enough to have access to the things that help you in terms of your mental health and well-being? Do you understand it early enough? And late diagnosis means that you may not. Therefore, you are not attuned, even though, like I say, because blockers are put there that force you into the, the negative spaces, drugs, drink, um, not going outdoors, two years of COVID where you're locked inside, you may live in a city, you may benefit from being amongst trees like we all do. So, yes, our mental health and well-being is supported by we were outdoorsy people. We like to walk, we like to get out, we like to... So those things obviously um, drain the energy in a positive sense of the children. I mean, they're more likely to go to bed, they're more likely to be relaxed, they're more likely to get some of the stress and anxiety out. But you know what? Some people don't know this or they don't have the money to be able to achieve this or they're in a, a place in the world where they can't access this. So then what do they do? Because they've got nobody to tell them in that three-year period, what it is they should be doing. And I, that that's what, this is why I do the work I do, and I, I'm sure the work you do, is because there's too many uh, families, there's too many uh, mothers, there's too many children who just are not getting the support, and therefore they're going to be lifelong in the health system in a negative context, you know, where they require um, medication, probably for mental health challenges rather than, it's crazy, right? It's crazy. And we really do need to rectify this as soon as possible. Yeah, you know, and, and unfortunately, you know, it, it does take a long time for, you know, anything to, to really change. But we're hoping that if we tap this from, you know, kind of a private angle and hopefully it goes into the NHS, you know, uh, in, 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 in the near future and make it accessible for people. 
wonderful yeah. and so it's, it's so a what, long journey ahead <laughs> yeah yeah it is it is it is but it, there's lots going on and i think uh, more the power of parents i always say the power of parents right watch out with parents yeah. they, uh, they'll get you you're not going to mess Mama around yeah with with the kids um when uh, when the parents are passionate about looking after their rights and i guess you know through the work that we do it's uh, our immediate focus is our own children because that is immediate it's in front of us we're living there every day it's our lived experience but the idea is it's the many right we can solve it for one we can solve it for all hopefully or at least a good proportion yeah so I, I'll be involved. I'll be involved in the app. I love I love the idea of technology. I think it solves many problems. Finally, um, as we wrap it up, just tell us a little bit about this event coming up um, in um, May, I think. Uh, and, and yes, yes. And how they can get in contact with you as well if they're interested. Oh yes, well, well, thanks, thanks to you for for mentioning this uh, this event. So yeah, the ADHD best practice event uh, is a conference, half day conference, and a not not for profit event. So it's it's a very low entry point, you know, in, in terms of price, because um, I just want to make things accessible, you know, to anyone who needs support. And actually, I am also able to give bursary to people who can't access it, you know, to. Um, some ADHDs who might struggle as well. But uh, the gist of the event, the aim is to bring ADHDs and the world of work together to share best practice approaches to help us within recruitment, retention, you know, and having a sense of belonging at work. And we also want to discuss intersectionality. You know, as we spoke about within this call, is that um, we're not just neurodivergent. You know, we are. We may also be impacted by various other things that affect whether or not we bring our best selves to work. And um, you know, this conference is all about, you know, being aware of what you know, you need to support your employers, I mean, your, your employees with ADHD, and also listening from people who've been talking about this for, you know, a long time, you know, and people who actually know what they're talking about, like people like you, people like Amanda Kirby, Tony Lloyd, and I also got the support of um, Jess Olsen, Kate Pearson, uh, Jess Gosling, uh, I'm sure I'm missing somebody, <laughs> you know, there is like a lot of people who are coming on board to support this, you know, and, and that's because we're all really passionate about this topic and, and it is a real pain point, you know, for a lot of neurodivergence at work, you know, and especially also employees who doesn't know how to support, you know, um, the, the employers who doesn't know, you know, where to go, you know, to get the support so this is a very accessible you know conference for everyone and um yeah there's no excuse really <laughs> you know after this too to do to, to, to not do the right thing right <laughs> brilliant well i'll put a link to the event um in in the section about section of the podcast um, so people can access it there um where do they best to connect with you if they wanted to uh, bring you in to support uh where, how can they find you yeah yeah, I'm I'm on LinkedIn as Samantha Hugh. I'm on all the social medias, but LinkedIn and Instagram, you know, is is where I'm 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 active because I can't do everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's me. I also have a website, ADHDgirls.co.uk. Uh, I'm very easy to find. If you just Google me, you'll find all sorts of things about me. <laughs> so so yeah, just Google me, I suppose. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I, I also do commercial modeling, so some pictures might come up too. So. <laughs> but cool, thanks, thanks a lot, Theo. You know, that, oh, that's my life, you. you know, in, in a nutshell. Real, real pleasure. Real thanks, pleasure thanks for having me. And, and very much um, a 
appreciate the work and value the work that you do uh, and will continue to support it. I'm, I'm very privileged to be involved in that event as well. So um, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, well, thank you, Theo. You know, I really appreciate the work you do. You know, I'm learning so much from you. So, you know, this is this is great. You know, we're all in it together, you know, and, and I think this is really going to help, you know, spark the revolution if it's not happening already. You've been listening to Neurodiversity, Eliminating Kryptonite, Enabling Superheroes. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can like, share, comment, find us anywhere on any good podcasting host. You can also do some further reading up and buy my book, uh, co-authored with Professor Amanda Kirby, Neurodiversity at Work. You can get it on Amazon with Kogan Page, our publisher, and pretty much any other good bookstore. Enjoy. Look forward to your feedback and keep listening to the show. Thank you.